Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, what's it like to be looking out for icebergs while racing on a yacht in the toughest ocean in the world? An Irish woman who's done it tells us. We had to do iceberg watch. One of us would go up onto the bow. We'd have three layers of neoprene on our face with just our eyelashes showing and you maybe could last five or ten minutes max up there because the icebergs were not showing the submerged ones. A lot of them were not showing on the radar. That was solely your responsibility and it was terrifying. And we report that after a gap of over 20 years, the Cabinet has decided to again set up a committee embracing all departments to develop government policy for the offshore islands. This is an important development as no such committee or policy has existed since the 1990s. It is hoped that the first meeting will be in September and that a cross-government islands policy will be developed. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, a reflective radio show about the sea coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yol on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community all around Ireland. One of the things I have done in my life is watching for icebergs on the bow of an offshore yacht racing around the world during the dark hours of night and I can tell you it's not a comfortable task. At the time, I was one of the crew of NCB Ireland, the Irish entry in the 1989-1990 Whitbread Round the World Race, now known as the Volvo Race. The memory of that cold night watch came back to my mind when described by a Dublin sailor who was on the crew of a boat we were racing against, the old women's yacht Maiden. That 58-foot British boat was skippered by the legendary Tracy Edwards, then 27 years old, and who had mortgaged her home to buy it and set a new level for women's participation in sailing. And this is the 30th anniversary year of Maiden's trailblazing achievement. It's now the subject of a film documentary in the cinemas by director Alex Holmes. Maiden changed the view of women in world sailing and Angela Heath, then Angela Farrell from Doonlera, was on the yacht's crew. She is now part of Irish Sailing's campaign, encouraging more participation by women in sailing and was helming the yacht Crazy Horse in the Pathfinder Women at the Helm Regatta in Doonlera, where 200 sailors raced in 61 boats to encourage women to take a leadership position in sailing. She told Justin Marr about her experience on sailing maiden in that 33,000 nautical mile race around the world. If you're talking uh, from a physical aspect, you know, you know whether it's being down in iceberg country back in 1989, there was no restriction on how far south the boats could go. So obviously, the further south you go, the circle around the globe is smaller, so it's faster. But of course, then you have the added danger. We had to do iceberg watch. One of us would go up onto the bow. We'd have three layers of neoprene on our face with just our eyelashes showing. And you maybe could last five or ten minutes max up there because the icebergs were not showing the submerged ones. A lot of them were not showing on the radar. And that was solely your responsibility. And it was terrifying. 
But that's more a physical thing. I actually found the emotional homesickness by far the biggest test. It was really hard to be away from home. I was always a home bird and still am, to be honest. So uh, just being away from the people that you've known all your life and who give you the boost up, you know, friends and family. So I'd imagine then your crewmates fill that void in some respects. They do. Um, first leg was difficult because we were all on ten hooks with each other. You know, we didn't know each other. Well, I didn't know any of them. I'd only done the fastness, which was a couple of days. But once that leg was over and we headed into the Southern Ocean, I don't know what happened to us, but we just clicked to the point where we didn't even have to speak. It was amazing. And we won that leg. And then we went and won the next leg, which was shorter, but more tactical. And uh, yeah, they, they became your family, very much so. But it was still incredibly professional, um, the way we worked. So there was no such thing as um, cringing or moaning. <laughs> it just, it, there was no time for a start and you were all in, in hardship. So you had to get on with it. And, and your job was to cheer each other up uh, when you were feeling a bit down, you know. And that, that's, a quite, that's a good skill for us all to have. I believe you still have a memento from the maiden, from that journey. I do. I have this fabulous thing, and I'm actually looking at it right now because I'm sitting on my bed, and it's in the bedroom. It was a plastic blow-up globe that my husband, Brendan Farrell, uh, we're not married anymore, but he gave it to me because each of the crew was allowed to bring one silly item, you know, for the race, whether it was a a little tiny cuddly toy or something, but it had to be very light. It hung in the heads, which is a toilet on a boat, for the whole race. And on it is, in black marker, is the route that we took. Okay, and you know, I'd go in into the loo and and look and figure out where I was by looking at the blow-up globe. (laughs) But I still have that here, and the last leg has not been completed so I'm still wondering when the whole lot of us are going to hold a pen together and actually finish the race. But maybe we don't want to finish it. Maybe we're still sailing around the world metaphorically. I think we probably are. <laughs> now, the story of Maiden is one that is tied as well to an era where women were told they could not do this. They mm. wouldn't have the ability to do this. 30 yeah. years on, do you think that attitudes have changed in that 30 years? Has it gotten better? Oh, it has. Very much so. When I hear some men being a little bit derogatory towards women, the women will not put up with it anymore. And it's fantastic. So it's it has stopped. Men have stopped doing it. The women just won't accept it. But we've got um, our top two to three Olympic um, sailors at the moment are women. The amount of support that women are getting in sailing now is fantastic. I think we've come a long way in 30 years, the whole the whole lot of us. One of the goals of this Pathfinder event as well is to encourage women to continue sailing at a time when they may be thinking about giving it up to pursue careers or families. Did you maintain your relationship with sailing throughout? I know you worked in the medical sector. Have you maintained your relationship through that? And, and what was it like if you did to juggle the two? I mean, I've always sailed Thursday evenings and Saturday uh, in Dublin Bay. Um, I never really stopped that, except when my kids were little babies and 
it's just impossible to do it. But it was suggested in inverted commas that I go back to sailing because I think I was going a bit mental being at home. <laughs> and uh, so that's how I got back into it. I was kind of pushed back out there um, because I need it almost for my sanity. It blows the cobwebs away. It challenges me mentally. But I think it's really good for your mental health to get back out there, whether you've got the confidence or not. Just go and do it and you'll love it. It's so good for you. Angela Farrell, Irish crew member on the Round the World Yacht Maiden, now Angela Heath, and The Voyage, now recorded in a cinematic documentary in the cinemas. And growlers were the small icebergs, the ones you wouldn't see on the radar, and they were really the dangerous ones on that iceberg watch. Now, the Pathfinder Women at the Helm Regatta was the first of its kind to be held at national level and was won by Sligo Yacht Club, their all-women's team, sailing a J24 yacht called the Lady Caroline. Louise McKenna of the Royal St. George Yacht Club and Dunglera won the Silver Sailor Prize for Helms over 60 years of age. And while there is already equality in sailing with boys and girls competing against each other from an early age, the regatta was designed to reverse the trend of women leaving sailing when careers and family take over. And to show to younger or less experienced sailors that women helming and being a leader can become the norm. And to underline this, men were not excluded from the regatta but only allowed sail if the female skippers decided they were needed to give assistance. On this programme, we have repeatedly highlighted the importance of Ireland's offshore island communities. So it's good to be able to report that the Cabinet has approved the setting up of a committee in which all departments will be involved to deal with government policy towards the islands. There hasn't been such a committee since the 90s, nearly 30 years ago. Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of the Islands Federation, Kogal Ilan Le Heron, reports from her base on the island of Inishlar in Clue Bay. The continuing saga of the Iron Islands Air Service rumbles on. The tendering process for the service will begin shortly, as the current contract will expire at the end of September. Minister of State Sean Kine noted that the upcoming contract will be for 12 months, which will hopefully be enough time to allow successful negotiations on the purchase of the airstrip at Invern. Minister Sean Kine also announced the formation of an Interdepartmental Islands Committee. The Cabinet has met and approved the formation of the committee, which will be made up of representatives from all government departments. It is hoped that the first meeting will be in September and that a cross-government islands policy will be developed. This is an important development, as no such committee or policy has existed since the 1990s. Bear Island Community Radio is to trial new technology that will allow text and other digital information to be transformed into the spoken word, complete with an appropriate accent. This will help expand their coverage as they'll be able to use the technology to report on all manner of local and national news, for example, sports scores and weather. The Scottish tech company Seriproc is also developing a Gaelic component which will be very useful to the radio station being developed on Ilan Clara. IMRO, Irish Islands Marine Research Organization, contributed to the recent Marine Spatial Planning Consultation. Seamus Bonner, Secretary of IMRO, wrote the submission 
emphasizing the importance of this plan to all of Ireland's offshore islands in terms of fishing and agriculture, as well as intangible heritage, community survival, and preservation of culture on the islands. Seamus quite correctly highlighted European and United Nations legislations and directives aimed at preserving and advancing sustainability of our islands. Hopefully, the points made will be taken into consideration. Heritage Week features in the schedules of many of our islands. Woody Island, County Cork, hosts a seaweed exploration event and nature walk. Aaron Moore hosts a special talk on a family holiday taken on the island in 1889 with photographs documenting everyday life on Aaron Moore. There will also be a talk by author Damien Shields on the story of islandmen of Dolingal who fought in the American Civil War, especially Patty Gallagher, who returned to the island after suffering in a POW camp in Georgia. Bear Island has so many events, walking tours, theater, historic tours, and island traditions. Please have a look at www.bearisland.net. Keol August Crack will be the keywords on Clare Island on the 31st of August. The Sailors Music Festival is sure to be lively with music that will raise the roof. Tory Island is starting a new community project, Honeymaking. This unique project will see a group of over a dozen islanders first researching the most beneficial trees and shrubbery to plant to support the bee colony. Over the winter, they will study the art of beekeeping and hopefully have a few hives for next year and full honey production in 2021. It's a lot of work, but could support valuable island jobs, increase biodiversity, and help protect the native Irish bee. All the best of luck to all involved. And on that helpful note, it's Slán for now from the islands. And Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Cogall Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, reporting there. Now Justin Marr runs up other maritime news from home and overseas waters. Head of the Marine Institute has been appointed to a key position on the EU agency promoting healthy oceans and waterways. Dr. Peter Heffernan, CEO of the Marine Institute, has been selected as a member of the European Commission's Mission Board for Healthy Oceans, Seas, Coastal and Inland Waters. The Mission Board is one of five major research missions of Horizon Europe, the EU Research and Innovation Programme. Dr. Heffner is one of 15 experts on the mission board, which will identify the first possible specific missions on healthy oceans by the end of 2019. Over 2,100 people from around the EU and beyond applied for a position on the mission board, which was culled down to the best 15 choices. Dr. Heffernan has led the Marine Institute as its CEO since its foundation in 1993 and will be retiring from that role in October after 26 years of service. Ireland was the first country in Europe to introduce V-notching of adult female lobsters. It started in 1994. Now 35,000 adult female lobsters caught by inshore fishermen have a V-shaped notch removed from their tails by trained board Ishkiwara staff each year. Supported by legislation, this makes illegal the landing, selling or holding of these lobsters. They are returned to the sea after V-notching to breed, and if they are caught again, they must be returned to the sea. This allows them to continue to reproduce on up to three more occasions before the notch is repaired, helping maintain Ireland's lobster fishery. 
The system was introduced at the request of lobster fishermen and because of increasing pressure by leisure non-professional fishermen catching uncontrolled numbers of lobsters. Finally, an international team of scientists have announced the discovery of the remains of a 500-year-old ship that remains pristinely intact in the cold, dark depths of the Baltic Sea. Scientists say the shipwreck is perhaps the best-preserved shipwreck of its period yet to be discovered. It was first detected in 2009 by the Swedish Maritime Administration using state-of-the-art sonar. For years, it went without further exploration until now. Further inspection of the wreck was led by Dr. Rodrigo Pacheco Ruiz, MMT's maritime archaeologist and deep-sea archaeological expert. Together with the Centre for Maritime Archaeology at the University of Southampton, Deep Sea Productions and the Maritime Archaeology Research Institute of Sodoton University. This ship is contemporary to the times of Christopher Columbus and Leonardo da Vinci, yet it demonstrates a remarkable level of preservation after 500 years at the bottom of the sea, thanks to the cold, brackish waters of the Baltic, said Dr. Pacheco Ruiz, who is also a visiting fellow in maritime archaeology at Southampton. There's been a lot happening involving lifeboats on the West Coast as Neve Stevenson, Public Affairs Manager of the RNLI in Ireland, reports now from their headquarters at Swords in County Dublin. Clifton RNLI have become the first lifeboat station on the West Coast of Ireland to receive the latest in lifeboat technology. As listeners will know by now, it is the first modern all-weather lifeboat to be propelled by water jets instead of traditional propellers making it the most agile and manoeuvrable all-weather lifeboat in the search and rescue charity's fleet. You will have heard a lot of talk about the Ornalize Shannon class all-weather lifeboat over the last few years. It's now at three lifeboat stations in Ireland. Its first home is in Loxwilly. A relief lifeboat is present in Wicklow. And just recently, one has arrived at Clarehead on the East Coast. Four years ago, the Galway station received an all-weather lifeboat on trial. Now, with a new 25-knot lifeboat replacing the station's 15-knot Mersey-class lifeboat, response times have been significantly cut and the lifeboat crew will reach casualties faster, especially those on island communities. Clifton Ornali is a 24-person strong Connemara-based volunteer lifeboat crew and they are a close-knit community. Two of the station's four coxswains are brothers, the Mullins, and there is a husband and wife serving on the lifeboat as well as a father and son. One of the first planned outings for the new lifeboat is to visit the nearby island communities where the lifeboat can be called on to respond to urgent requests for medical evacuations. Both Inish Boffin and Inish Turk are first in line to receive a visit and have a tour of the new lifeboat. And staying in Clifton, there are personnel changes happening there too. Two lifeboat crew, past and present, have been appointed to new roles in the charity. Rob King, the former full-time mechanic for Clifton's lifeboat station, has been announced as the Ornalise Area Lifesaving Manager for the West of Ireland. And Thomas Davis, a volunteer lifeboat crew member, has been appointed as the full-time station mechanic. To end, it feels appropriate after the summer we are having to issue a word of warning. 
Over the summer weeks, the media team have been busy fielding queries on inflatables and tombstoning. Now, tombstoning is the dangerous practice of jumping into the sea from great heights. Every year, once the sun shines, people take to the water for fun and sometimes in this pursuit, it can lead on to dangerous activities that look great fun but can end in tragedy. It's very simple. Inflatables are not a good idea in Irish waters. They are made with pools and Mediterranean climates in mind and they can quickly be blown out to sea on Irish waters often taking a young child with little knowledge of water safety with them. The Ornelay in Ireland shares the view of our colleagues in Water Safety Ireland that they represent a huge danger on the open water and should not be used. Many lifeboat stations call out during the summer months are to these type of incidents. On tombstoning, a crew member from Kilrush Ornelay, Charlie Glynn, has been commenting recently on camera footage that was posted online showing people jumping from a cliff in Kilkee far into the water below. Jumping from a height into the sea is a jump into the unknown. It's a high risk, high impact activity and it can have severe and life altering repercussions. Water depths alter with the tide and submerged objects may not be visible. Strong currents can take people away and the shock of cold water can make it difficult to swim. Nobody wants to stop anyone's fun, but lifeboat crews have the benefit of years of experience and can spot trends. When they give advice, or a call of caution, it's a very good idea to listen, as they have more than likely launched to deal with it. Let's hope we have a few good weeks of weather left before the temperature drops and that people stay safe. As always, more advice is available at ornli.org forward slash safety. Neil Stevenson reporting and do take notice of the RNLI warnings about inflatables and tombstoning. Why do people endanger themselves? It defies understanding of the pleasure and joy of the sea rather than causing themselves and the rescue services problems. Why not just enjoy the pleasure of what Irish waters offer, as do anglers, as we hear now in our regular angling report. Hello to all the anglers listening in. Miles Kelly from Inland Fisheries Ireland here again to give a quick roundup of the news from the world of fishing. Crayfish plague is back in the news again. The disease is lethal to Irish crayfish and all crayfish that become infected die. Crayfish plague is easily transmitted in water or via contaminated equipment, for example on fishing equipment, boats, canoes and waders. Ireland holds the largest population of the white-clawed crayfish in Europe. Unfortunately, crayfish plague has now been confirmed on the River Nore. The outbreak was detected at Kilkenny. This is the third river this year where a new outbreak of the plague has been confirmed and brings the total number of rivers with crayfish plague to nine. The affected rivers are the River Brusky, part of the Urn in County Cavan, the River Shore in County Waterford in Tipperary, the River Deal in County Limerick, the River Barrow and its tributaries, the Strait, the Laura River, County Tipperary, the River Al, County Westmeath, the River Clare, County Galway, the River May, County Limerick, and now the River Nor, County Kilkenny. Anglers are reminded of the absolute necessity to adopt good biosecurity practices and prevent the spread of any waterborne fish or wildlife diseases and invasive species. This needs to be adopted as standard practice in all fresh waters, not just when you fish in waters known to harbour crayfish plague. What we need is for anglers to remember the check, clean, dry protocol. All wet gear should be checked for any silt or mud, plant material or insects and bugs. 
It should then be cleaned and finely dried. Disinfectant or hot water over 60 degrees should be used to clean all equipment, followed by a 24-hour drying period. Drying is especially important. All water from inside boats must be drained and disposed of on grass, and again, after draining, a drying period of at least 24 hours is needed to ensure that the boat is clear of infectious organisms. People are asked to alert the authorities of any mass mortality of crayfish to the NPWS, the National Biodiversity Data Centre or the Marine Institute, who will advise on actions to be taken. In sea angling news, there have been some interesting catches to report. One lucky angler fishing from the Dublin coast caught a huge bass. The fish, measuring 85 centimetres and tipping the scales at 6.6 kilos, was truly the fish of a lifetime. Meanwhile, a charter boat angler fishing off the west coast of Cork hooked and landed a sunfish. This unusual fish took a jelly worm and once landed was carefully released. Anglers interested in big game fishing can now fish for bluefin tuna and at the same time support scientific work to increase knowledge of the behaviour and abundance of bluefin tuna in Irish waters. There are 15 charter boats taking part in the pilot programme. The authorised vessels, which are located in Cork, Clare, Galway, Sligo and Donegal, will be available for catch and release bluefin tuna fishing until the 15th of October. Salmon angling is picking up again after the rains and August, which can often be a slow month for salmon fishing, is giving up a few decent days after all. The Munster Blackwater and the Bandon and Cork had some good fishing, as did the Arif and some of the other Connemara rivers and lakes in Galway. Anglers are reminded that the bag limit reduces to one salmon a day in September. Finally, any anglers who purchase 21-day and 1-day salmon licences or who have stopped fishing for the season are reminded to return their logbooks to Inland Fisheries Ireland as soon as possible and no later than the 19th of October. You can do this using the business reply envelope you received on purchasing your licence or call into any of our offices. Well, that's all from me this week. Safe fishing to all and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland ending this edition of This Island Nation produced at CRY 104FM Yole on the East Cork coastline with technical supervision by Justin Marr and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland Dublin on Lear FM, Dublin City Liffey Sound and Dublin South on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Convara FM, Clare on Radio Cork of Boschkeen, Kilkenny City Radio Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM Mayo One Community Radio Castle Bar, Cork City Community Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island and podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and themarinetimes.ie and there's a monthly edition on the National Council for the Blinds audio magazine. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. You can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. And there's a regular blog on Facebook. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. 